But again, there's a huge difference between a high threshold sensory seeker and a high threshold low registration kid, which we just talked about. And the difference is the sensory seekers are active in their approach to getting regulated. They know what their body needs and they will stop at nothing to get it. Literally, they won't even listen to rules or adhere to any safety regulations if it means they can get the sensory input that they want. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hi, everyone. Let's get back to talking about different sensory thresholds or sometimes called sensory profiles. We already talked about a low sensory threshold or a small sensory cup detailed back in episode six. And if you want a general, what is sensory processing disorder episode that is back on episode five. So if a low sensory threshold and small sensory cup is considered sensory sensitive, then what about high sensory thresholds with big sensory cups? Well, there's actually two different profiles and we are going to go into them today. First, there's your high sensory threshold, big sensory cup kids that we often to refer to as having low registration sensory profiles. Remember, an overflowing sensory cup is dysregulation or a sensory meltdown, and so is an empty sensory cup. We're striving for a cup filled with just the right amount of liquid, which would be a regulated, calm, but still alert and focused child. Low registration, high threshold kids have a large sensory cup, meaning it takes more intense, more frequent, and longer duration of sensory input and information for them to register that it's even there as compared to someone with an average size cup or a neurotypical brain. And these kids with low registration need more sensory input to feel regulated and alert enough to participate and function in their environment. So what does this look like in real life? Well, these kids tend to move slower. They have a quieter volume of voice and typically have a kind of a slumped posture, or maybe they prefer to lean on a lot of objects or people or walls. They can tolerate a lot of spinning and don't really get dizzy. Um, And they also don't mind it, or they might not even notice some loud sounds or not mind loud sounds. And sometimes they may not even notice that their hands or face are messy from foods or crafts. They might not notice the changes in environment. They may miss the sound of an alarm or have a delayed reaction to the teacher saying, okay, class, everyone line up. They're just kind of missing a lot of the sensory input in everyday life unless it's at a certain intensity, frequency, or duration. And the most important thing to note is that 
it isn't about your child not being able to hear or not being able to see or not being able to feel things. It's just that the visual or auditory cues or really any sensory cues aren't sending strong enough signals to the part of their brain that labels what it is or tells the body what to do with it. Low registration kids look like they're always tired or sometimes they're called lazy. Even if they're, they get good quality and good quantity sleep, they just seem to move slower. It isn't related to energy level or fatigue. It's just a matter of them not being stimulated enough by the environment. So you know how like when it's a gloomy day, when you're indoors, maybe sitting on your couch, maybe the lights aren't on because it's mid-afternoon, so you still have the natural light, but the room is kind of dim lit because it's not super sunny. Maybe it's quiet inside and you're just sitting there. This might make you yawn or just feel kind of blah like just not a lot of energy to move, but it's not like you didn't have a good night of sleep or enough nutrition. You have the energy, your body just kind of feels slower and a little bit more down. I don't know about you, but I do feel this way most Saturdays when it is gloomy, when I have no momentum from being up and around the house and about and doing chores and all of the things. But then maybe I turn on the lights or the sun comes out and all of a sudden I feel this burst of, quote, energy and feel more awake and alert. But it's not about the energy. It's about my sensory inputs being more stimulated. My sensory cup is feeling a little bit more. This is kind of how low registration kids are, except they feel this kind of slow and, quote, blah, which I mentioned earlier, and gloomy weather type feeling and this kind of posture and movement and slow movement, even when it's not a gloomy day. They just need an extra boost or extra oomph of sensory input to be more alert. When you do provide more movement or sound or tactile or bright visuals or any other alerting sensory input, low registration kids become more regulated. And this to them looks more alert and they will participate more in the environment and this just really fills their sensory cup to the just right level. The tricky part is for low low registration kids, they don't actively seek it out. They don't know that their body needs this input and they really rely on teachers, on caregivers, on parents to kind of get them going, get them moving and to provide that sensory input that they need. And this is in contrast to another profile that also has a high sensory threshold. And that is what we're going to talk about next. So these are your sensory seekers. Sometimes people call them sensory cravers. In the OT world, you might hear both terms used synonymously. Some therapists have a different word for each. But for the purpose of simplicity, I use sensory seekers and sensory cravers interchangeably. Again, some therapists will argue with that, but for this podcast, sensory seekers are the same as sensory cravers. So a sensory seeker, like a low registration child, they also have a high threshold. They also have a huge sensory cup. They do need more sensory input in order to register it. But in addition to having a huge sensory cup, it's as if their cup has a hole in it. Meaning no matter how much you try to fill up their cup to the just right level, it just keeps emptying out. These kids are insatiable for sensory input. 
You'll know a sensory seeker when you see one. They usually don't stop moving or have a really hard time keeping their hands to themselves. Some sensory seekers love making loud sounds over and over again or humming to hear the voice or even to just feel the vibration of their voice. Sensory seekers typically love getting messy, moving fast, jumping. They can be described as thrill seekers and commonly get injured because of the risks they take jumping off surfaces or running full speed or climbing super high structures. But again, there's a huge difference between a high threshold sensory seeker and a high threshold low registration kid, which we just talked about. And the difference is the sensory seekers are active in their approach to getting regulated. They know what their body needs and they will stop at nothing to get it. Literally, they won't even listen to rules or adhere to any safety regulations if it means they can get the sensory input that they want. The other big difference is that offering a low registration child a movement-based activity or sensory input like jumping or swinging or turning the lights on or listening to music will regulate them. Sometimes, and actually pretty often, sensory seekers can actually get even more dysregulated when you give them more sensory input. So let's, let's set the scene a bit. So it's after school, your sensory seeker child comes home, super hyperactive, dysregulated, acting way too silly, moving fast inside the house, knocking things over, clearly just not enough sensory input for them in the day after sitting inside at school. You say, Hey honey, why don't you just go outside and go jump on the trampoline? I'll just call you when it's time for snack. So they go outside, they jump on the trampoline for like 45 minutes straight. And when it's time to come in, they seem just as dysregulated, if not worse than where they were before. How can this be? If they have a huge sensory cup and you give them more input, wouldn't they become more regulated? Well, yes, ideally, but remember there is a hole in their sensory cup. It's pretty common for sensory seekers to just become more hyperactive and more dysregulated with more sensory input especially, and here's the key, especially when the sensory input is unstructured or has no clear goal. Here are my general rule of thumbs, rules of thumb, whatever you want to say, (laughs) when it comes to providing input that will actually regulate a sensory seeker. First, you want to try to match the sensory input they're craving. For example, if they're chewing on their t-shirt, replacing it with something that's not chewable is not going to help. So if you see your child chewing on their t-shirt and you tell them to go jump on a trampoline, yes, both of those provide sensory input, but it's not going to help your child's regulation. So if they're chewing on their t-shirt, replace it with something that they can chew, like a chew toy or a chewy snack. The second tip is offer activities that are structured and goal-directed. So for example, if your child is just running around aimlessly in circles, has no clear direction, and is just literally trying to like run off steam, give them a goal. How many brown leaves can you pick up in 30 seconds? How many acorns can you pick up in a minute? The third tip, the most underrated tip I could give you about sensory seekers, it's a simple tip, but I know it's really hard to put into practice as a parent or even as a teacher. If the sensory seeking behavior is not physically harming anyone, including themselves or others around them, let it be. Let it be. Choose your battles. 
I know there are some sensory seeking behaviors that can drive you up the wall. I personally don't live with a sensory seeker and I'm already overstimulated in my pretty low key house. So I can only imagine how tough it must be. But if it's not harming anyone, find a way for you to just let that sensory seeking behavior go and focus your energy on redirecting seeking behaviors that are unsafe or causing more dysregulation. If anything, if you want to add or change up the sensory seeking behavior, just try to add a goal or direction to it, but don't focus on stopping it or replacing it if it's not harmful to anyone. All right, so I'm going to end the episode here. I like to keep these episodes short, but there's so much more to share. I could talk for hours and hours and hours. I do have to pace myself. But if you do want more information on sensory seekers and high thresholds, my Instagram has a ton of information at the OT Butterfly. If you go to the highlight section, there's a section called seekers, and there's also one called movement seekers. There's also a highlight called SPD FAQ. So lots of information for you to binge there if this wasn't enough for you, but I promise lots more content for you to come here on this podcast. Stay tuned. I'll see you next time. Thanks for being here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.